called pagination. So there you go. Okay, well, we'll get started. Good evening. Well, we have a tough passage to study tonight. So as I looked at that and I read it, I'm like, why did Pastor Scott put that in there? But it's in the scriptures and it's good, and so we're going to study it. And uh, I will do my best to try and lead you along here so that we don't lose anybody. Um, if you have any questions, please raise your hand and ask, okay? Um, there's no problem to ask me questions um, on that. But it is a very tough passage. Before we read it, I want to give you the context. So what's going to happen here is Jesus is going to ask the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, he's going to ask them a question. Now what has been happening was the previous uh, pe those people were previously asking Jesus questions. They're trying to test him and trick him. Okay, so because what they didn't what they didn't like were the people were calling Jesus and thinking he was the Messiah and the Christ, which Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes did not like Jesus because Jesus not, did not fit what they thought the Messiah was going to be. So they were testing Jesus in different ways. So there was, you guys might remember some of these, it might jog some of your memory, but trying to trick him in how to pay taxes to Caesar. Should you pay it to Caesar or should you give it to God? Or asking about the resurrection. If somebody married seven, uh, seven different people, if, if you married one person and they died and married another person and they died and married another person and they died and you did that seven times, would you have seven spouses in heaven trying to trick him with the resurrection? And he answered that one well. There was another one where he's, they asked him, which is, which is the most important commandment or the greatest commandment? And he answered that one well, saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he answered those quickly. So Jesus pretty much knew their motives were from unbelief. Okay, so the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes <coughs> had a spirit of unbelief with them. And Jesus um, was the Christ. And they couldn't see it, even though they were the teachers and they should know better because they know the scriptures the best. So what really upset Jesus the most with how the Pharisees and the, how the, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were using the law to justify themselves and justify their actions. Um, and then heaping burdens on the people who didn't understand the law and letting the law be this great big burden. Because the purpose of the law is to show that we're sinners and need God, right? And the Pharisees were using the law to justify and show how righteous they were. So we might hear the term self-righteousness. So that really angered Jesus when you use the scriptures to sin. And that's what the Pharisees were doing here. So what we're going to have here is Jesus is turning the tables on the Pharisees, and asking them a question. So we're going to read that now. So it's uh, Matthew chapter 22. Before we read, let's pray here to start us off. Father, we're thankful for today, and we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful for um, you to reveal who you are 
um, a little bit more for us. Even though we can't fully understand something, you have revealed what we need to know, exactly what we need to know, so that we can be encouraged with your word, Lord. Help us understand that here tonight. Help me teach that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we'll go ahead and stand here, and I'm going to read Matthew 22, 41 through 46. And so let's read that. So now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit called him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. You guys may be seated. In, in, in the Gospel of Mark, when it recounts this one, it said the people cheered So after, after he said that. So it was kind of like a big like mic drop in, um, situation here for this. So um, this is, like I said, this is a very tough passage. Um, and to understand it, we need to know two things. So... We're going to preface this here. You need to know what the son of David means. And we need to read Psalm 110, verse 1. Because this, that is the verse that Jesus is actually quoting in the Old Testament. So, the son of David. Who is David in here? Who, any ideas on who David is? What do you got? The king. Huh? The king of the Yes, so King David. So a man after God's own heart. Um, it was after King Saul. Um, King Saul's kingdom was taken away from him because of um, Saul's sin and unbelief. King David was anointed. And so here is King David. So we know, <clears throat> for those that are interested, you guys can write this uh, reference down. But 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. I'll say it again. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. In, in this, in the Old Testament here, King David wanted to build a temple for God. But God said, no, don't, um, don't build the temple um, for me. I'm going to let your son do that. But the prophet Nathan prophesied and said that King David's throne will be established forever. Okay? So King David's throne will be established forever. And then in, you can write this down, too, if you guys are interested in reading this later. We don't have time to go into that tonight. But Jeremiah 33, 14 through 26. So Jeremiah 33, 14 through 26. It talks about a righteous branch that will spring from David. Okay? And will be called uh, God is righteousness. And, but actually it uses the term Yahweh, which is God's personal name. So what it says is a righteous branch will spring from David and will be called God, essentially. Okay? So that's Jeremiah 33. So the righteous branch is representative of a son or a descendant of King David. So it's just kind of like um, what we would say in, in genealogy or lineage. Um, my great-great, I'm a son of my great-great-grandfather. Um, so it's just any descendant of that. So Jesus is a uh, is a descendant of David, so he is a son of God. So, there's a whole bunch more prophesi prophecies, prophet, when I can't say that word, but there's a whole bunch of those 
in the Old Testament, like 10 of them. Um, but the main thing to know is the prophecy from the Old Testament said that the Messiah or Christ, so will be a son or descendant of David. So if you followed me up to that point, you guys, you're awesome. If you didn't, and I completely lost you, don't worry about it. All you have to remember is this, that the son of David is a title that means Christ or Messiah, okay? Which Christ or, or Messiah, Christ or Messiah means anointed one, anointed one by God, okay? So if you said son of David to the Jews in Jesus' time, that immediately meant Messiah, okay? So the Jews were expecting this person, the son of David, to be a, sen- a descendant of King David and be anointed by God to free them from captivity. That's what they're expecting here, okay? Jesus does not fit this mold, right? Now, we know later on that Jesus does fit the mold of, uh, of getting them out of their, cap- uh, their captivity to sin, but um, it's not fitting what they wanted now. So, with that there, so remembering that, turn to Psalm 110. <clears throat> so, Psalm 110, verse 1. This is what Jesus is referencing here. This is a messianic psalm. Um, it's a psalm written by King David. And so he's talking here, and this is David talking, okay? In, under the Holy Spirit. So that is being talking here. So I'm going to read this here. And what I want you to do is we're going to read, we're going to compare Psalm 110.1, so 110.1, to Matthew 22.44. So the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I see two differences between those two verses. What are the two differences? Yes, so um, in Psalm 110, it says, put your enemies under your footstool. And in, in Matthew, it says, put your enemies under your feet. So it's kind of the same thing, right? A footstool, you put your feet on there. So to, depending on how you translate things, it's really saying the same thing. So, um, so that was one difference. What's the other difference? Um, it says, the Lord says to my Lord versus the Lord said to my Lord. Okay. All right, there's three differences, so I missed that one. Good job. So now there's three, so. <laughs> Come up with one more. Um, it says, make, um, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make enemies of your footstool. This says, uh, put enemies okay. enemies under your feet. Okay, yeah, so make, put, okay, that's good. So now there's four. <laughs> we can get up there. Look at Lord. What's the difference? Oh. What? One of them is in all caps, as in Yahweh. And one of them is yeah. So, okay, so one is all caps. So the all caps, it's not shouting. What that means is... It's, so if you, if you want to throw away words um, like pagination, um, it's the tetragrammaton, okay? So it's another word. Um, what that means is that is instead of saying Yahweh, which is the personal name of God. So 
So God is kind of like a title, um, but the personal name of God is called Yahweh. Like, just like I have a title, I'm Mr. or I'm Dad or um, I'm a doctor, so you might call me Doc. But that's not really, my friends call me Kyle. That's my personal name, right? So Yahweh, when you see the, the all cap Lord, that actually means God's personal name. They put Lord there because they didn't want to take God's name in vain. It was like a, a reverence thing. So God's name was so holy that they didn't even write it, even though it was an appropriate use for that. So um, with that. Okay, so that's the difference there. So now we have, does it make a little bit more sense? We can change that and say, Yahweh said to my Lord, or we can just say, we use the term God. So we'll say, God said to my Lord, okay? So that makes a little bit more sense to us here when we read verse 44. God said to my Lord, who's my Lord in this part? The Messiah? The Messiah, yeah. So the son of David here is my Lord. And, and that's the big point. So we know that this is a messianic psalm. God is talking to the Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your foot. So you can say, um, so we can say here, uh, God said to the Christ. Or God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under um, um, under your feet. So what's weird here is that a father should not call their son Lord. So my son is Andrew, and I don't call him Lord, so he needs to call me Lord. So, <laughs> but that's the sign of respect that we have in there. So a son shouldn't do that. So here, Jesus, uh, the, here, King David is calling the Messiah my Lord, which is his son. It's a descendant. Okay? The Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. How can that be? The somebody, the king, David, father, cannot say that to the son. So, my big question is for you guys. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were shut up. Can you guys answer that question? How can the son of King David rightly be called Lord by his father? I'll say that again. So we'll see if you guys can answer this. Because the Pharisees, they're really smart. They struck out. Okay. How can the son of King David rightly be called Lord by his father? So Jesus is God, but he's also human. human. Okay, so that's the answer. Okay, so Jesus is both God and man. That's what the Pharisees, the Sadducees missed. Okay, so, um, so we know Jesus is both um, fully God and fully man. So the fancy pants term for this is hypostatic union. Who's heard of that? 
Okay, that's a fancy word. So if you ever hear hypostatic union, you guys know what that is. So it's, it's fully God, fully man. It's the union. Here's, here's, the, here's what it is. It's the union of Jesus' two natures. So his two natures are man and God. Okay? So, and uh, I told you this was going to be hard, and it's not my fault. So, <laughs> stick with me. The, uh, so, it is, um, it is two natures, fully man, but Jesus is one person. And that's something that we're like, well, how can that be? And we can't understand something fully. We can only understand what God reveals to us. So how many of you guys know how a cell phone works? No, I didn't say how it works. I, I, I didn't say how to work a cell phone. I said, can you build a cell phone and get it to work? I don't think anybody can do that. Nobody knows how a cell phone, nobody could build a cell phone and make it work. So we don't fully understand a cell phone, but we know how to work a cell phone. I think everybody here does know it by, you probably, probably knew it by um, age five. So... What we want to do is, like a cell phone, we need to know how to use this knowledge. We need to know how to use the hypostatic union, even though it's a crazy term. Um, we need to know that how to use Jesus is fully God and fully man. Okay? Fortunately, the Bible does tell us why it's so important. So, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. So I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. And this is talking about Jesus. And it's just talking to us on why it's important that Jesus is both God and man. Okay? So, um, therefore, he, that's Jesus, therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, right there, what's really encouraging is we have a faithful high priest, somebody that knows exactly what we went through. So, it's not anything, and he suffered way more than what we have. He's compassionate for what we have gone through, and he can be an advocate for us. He'll be a faithful advocate and a complete advocate of what we have to suffer and go through and what we're tempted day in and day out, every day. Jesus was tempted too, and, um, and so we can go to him, and he'll understand and so that's a big encouragement to me, at least, on what we have here and the fact that Jesus suffered as we suffered. And then Philippians, keep your hand in uh, Hebrews, but you can turn to Philippians uh, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, 5, I'm going to read 5 through 11. And then this is just talking about why 
the creator of us would come and be one of us. And what it would take and the mindset that it would be. So chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have a, um, we have a high priest that knows what we're suffering, and he took the form of a man so that he can suffer and die and pay the penalty for our sins, which is death, right? We deserve death. The wages of our sin is death. We deserve it. We've all sinned, and that payment is eternal death. But Jesus paid that price so that he can restore that, relate, so that the relationship that has been broken by sin between us and God he can restore that so that when we ask for forgiveness for our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. He will make us a new creature in Christ so that um, we can glorify him and have a good relationship and have a perfect relationship um, with him. And then my last point here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Um, Hebrews 2, 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So what that says there, we just talked about in verse 44, what's the great promise there in verse 44 of Matthew 22? In Matthew 22, verse 44. What do you guys see there? see how long we can wait it out. What do you got? Um, until I put your enemies under your feet. Yeah, so Jesus, um, God said, um, until he puts their enemies under their feet. We know that Jesus will win. Right? It's done. And so, where do you guys put your hope? Where do you put your hope? Do you put your hope in this world? Because if you put your hope in the idols of this world, you will lose. Because those enemies will be put under Jesus' feet. Satan will lose. Jesus will win. So we, 
That's why it's so important that we put our hope in the next life and not this life. So I'd encourage you guys to, if you don't know um, if your sins are forgiven, if you have hope in Jesus, talk to your smaller group leader, talk to Pastor Scott, talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you more about that. This is a spiritual life and death struggle. And I encourage you guys to think through that. We have the creator of the universe that loves us so much that he came down to suffer and die for us. And that's, and to understand and to think that through that is an amazing thing. So let's pray here. Father, we're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for all you've given us. Um, we're so thankful that you have sent your son for our sins, Lord. Let us put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. These guys are dismissed.